Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. Uh, today's episode, um, a lot of listener questions. Um, we really appreciate when you guys send those in, so please keep doing so um, on Twitter at Florida BB Hour. Um, we're always happy to answer those on any show. We'll also break down the Tennessee loss uh, and preview Florida's must-win home game against Vanderbilt, who is winless in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, thanks again for listening, and hope you enjoy the show. All right, everybody, I've got Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're going to talk about uh, Florida, Tennessee, and, and answer a bunch of listener questions on today's show. Um, we're just going to kind of jump right in with with a Florida-Tennessee game where maybe a missed opportunity because Tennessee didn't play that well. Rick Barnes said after the game, a lot of that was Florida. Uh, Gator fans can't be too encouraged to hear that and then lose by 12. Right, and um, I guess the one encouraging thing potentially is that is that Florida probably doesn't feel like they played super well and you know played it into a 12-point uh, game, which doesn't look too bad. That was uh, – I forget what the I don't know what the Vegas odds were. It's probably near Ken Palm, but I think Ken Palm had it like thirteen or fourteen points. So um, for that, it was probably a you know a fair effort from the Gators. But uh, the thing that kind of just stuck out to me was uh, you know obviously Florida didn't score very well. They weren't super efficient, uh, but yeah, their defense didn't look super great. And that's something that and, and I know once again the people that are not big fans of Mike White kind of pointed out. Uh, the first thing kind of my white said in the post game was, you know, he didn't like the defense and didn't think that they executed there well there. And everyone was like, well, it should be the offense you're talking about, but, but yeah, they, uh, they shot over 50% from the field. They shot uh, over 40% from three. And uh, yeah, I just thought that uh, that Florida's defense looked, looked really shaky. And obviously uh, as we've talked about on this podcast, Tennessee might be the best offensive team in the country. Um, The metrics kind of say so. And, and I, you know, I would say looking at them that they're, they're hyper efficient. So, um, you know, obviously it's Florida was playing against a really good offense, but yeah, I really didn't think Florida defended at a super high level. And, and obviously that's, that's how the team needs to win games. So the fact that they didn't score very well, they didn't defend very well. And this game wasn't just completely ugly. Um, I'll take that as a, you know, a, a shred of a moral victory, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Florida definitely does not shoot the ball. Well, um, what else is new, I guess? 35% from the field is pretty anemic. Um, and I'm going to echo what Eric said with the caveat that I thought Florida defended well for a half, which, again, this gets into the problem that this basketball team has sometimes and why, you know, you definitely look at metrics and, and you say it's an elite defense. But um, what's interesting about that is Tennessee scores 37 points in the second half and, and 36 points in the first half. And I say, I thought they defended well for one half. And you're probably like, what is Neil talking about? Well, Tennessee had less possessions in the second half and more points. So um, Florida was not as effective in getting stops in the second half as they were in the first half. And that's even with a stretch of about three minutes in the second half where Florida produced a lot of turnovers and went on a nice run to make the game kind of close again. Um, because, but for that run, Tennessee was scoring at 1.49 points of possession in the second half, but for that four minute stretch, um, that's really bad. <laughs> and 
that four-minute stretch kind of brought it down to where Tennessee was just a little above their average points per possession on the season, whereas in the first half, uh, according to um, one of the Tennessee beat writers, it was their fourth least points per possession and a half of the entire year, which speaks to how good Tennessee is offensively, that they could have a, a half where they average a whole point of possession, and that's their fourth worst half. Um, but it also speaks to Florida maybe defending okay for a half and then not well in the second half. Yeah, and it should be noted as well that, you know, some of those Lamonte Turner shots were, were tough looks that he hit. And uh, obviously, uh, Grant Williams had a few uh, a few shots in the mid-range that are contested, and, and they went in. And I would say that as a defense, you're pretty content to take, you know, obviously, if a team's going to shoot a contested mid-range jump shot, you're okay with it. And uh, they did hit them. So uh, that was kind of unfortunate. But uh, yeah, I think it should be noted too that I guess you know Florida did even def- defend well on a few possessions that still ended up in uh, in made shots for Tennessee. Uh, the the one thing that I that I think should be noted, however, that I thought was pretty impressive for for the Gators is that they didn't get pounded on the glass. Um, the rebounding, I, you know, Florida actually came out on top of the raw rebounding numbers and and had more offensive rebounds themselves. And um, I, I thought that was obviously pretty impressive against a really good uh, defensive rebounding or defensive and offensive rebounding team in Tennessee. And uh, that just the, the way that Florida was able to compete on the glass uh, probably helped keep this game close as well. Yeah, I would agree. And I thought that it was kind of what was frustrating about that is not just that when you win the rebounding battle on the road at the number one team in the country, you figure you're going to be in a really close game and Florida really for the second straight game wasn't. Um, and by the way, Florida almost out rebounded Auburn too. It was 29, 28. So Florida, <laughs> Florida rebounding, which we've talked about on the show as being something that is at least tangentially, if not pretty, pretty uh, immensely impacted by effort. Right. Um, it's a, it's a statistic that there's a little luck, there's a little effort, you know, all those things and, and box outs. Florida still missed some box outs in this game. So they, the rebounding margin could have been more. And then some effort and like mental focus plays. Again, Florida's margin fair is so small. I mean, you can't let things that happen that happen, like on the Lamonte Turner threes that extended the lead from six to 12, where one time, you know, um, Florida gets ducked in on a back screen and the other time uh, I'm not really sure why Florida switched but they did and and uh, you know I mean Kavarius Hayes was there as, as Eric mentioned but it's not really what that's not who you want guarding in that position right and, and just talking about how how uh, Florida's margin for error just is not very high there were some moments like that too where uh, Florida had some wide open shots, especially in the first half when um, when Tennessee did go on a little bit of a run. Uh, There's a you know a wide open DeAndre Ballard shot that just spilled out, and and some wide open kind of Jalen Hudson shots at the rim that that had him kind of spill out, and and those shots just seemed uh, seemed particularly deflating for the Gators, and especially once again they were you know there's that first kind of stretch of the game where where things were were close and uh, for the first you know few minutes and. And Florida had a chance to, to, you know, put some distance between with a, with a Ballard three-pointer and it spills out. And, and yeah, those things, uh, those things kind of hurt. And uh, once again, you, you were kind of talking about how just anemic Florida shooting was. Uh, I, I was kind of impressed with the way that they actually generated some open looks, uh, but they just were not falling. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you want something promising, they played a really good defense and unlike Tuesday, they were able to actually get quite a few open looks. Jalen Hudson, in the contested versus uncontested category, 
Um, Hudson Hudson misses three uncontested three pointers to to add on to the to the list of people who missed pretty good looks, pretty good shots from the perimeter. That you know, I hate to say it, but a lot it just feels like a lot of times last season those shots went in, and they really haven't this year. Um, there haven't even been other than that crazy Texas A and M game. Many games where you know it seemed like Florida was making everything, and that's on a day where what Noah Locke was five of eight from the Tennessee to kind of keep his team around or respectable, I guess. That's really impressive about Locke, just because it seems like uh, it seemed like <laughs> Locke was pretty quiet against Tennessee, and, and I mean, I think he hit two threes when the game was pretty out of reach, especially the one. But I mean, he had seventeen points in, in a game where it seemed like he was pretty quiet, and that just shows how. Uh, uh, what kind of score he is just with his ability to shoot the ball. So, uh, yeah, obviously it's kind of funny too. You take uh, Florida shot 30 point or yeah, 30.8% from the three point line. And, you know, you take away Noah Locke and it was, uh, you know, 0 for 3 from Keontae Johnson, 0 for 5 from Jalen Hudson, um, 0 for 1 from Bassett, 0 for 2 from Ballard, and 0 for 2 from uh, Okaru, unfortunately. So there's just a lot of offers and, uh, and Nemhart, who had a, had a pretty tough game, I would say. Um, though he really competed defensively. I mean, he was on Williams for a lot of uh, possessions and really worked to front him. And I thought that was really impressive, but yeah. uh, once again, you know, I, I, something I've talked about a lot on this podcast, Andrew Nemhart's um, kind of struggles from two point range. He's one for seven from two um, against Tennessee. And that's, uh, that's, that's just, that's tough. Yeah. Florida's freshman with 26 points for the Gators. 17 of those were lock. Um, Florida's freshman had, uh, six, eight of Florida's uh, thirty-three rebounds. So not not as many on the rebounds, but this this one's pretty interesting. Florida's freshman with nine of Florida's eleven assists, um, and then Florida's freshman with three block shots. So, you know, across the board, just about half of Florida's production as a basketball team statistically comes from their three freshmen. And that's on a day where Nimhart is one for seven. Um, but, you know, zero turnovers in Knoxville uh, against the number one team in the country. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I, and uh, you just, again, you look at the fact that he doesn't have people hitting shots around him. Uh, that's tough to, you know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty tough for Andrew Nimhart. It's one of those things that, you, again, not to just totally look, look forward to next season or look ahead, but if Florida does have a really much improved offense next year, yeah, Andrew Nemhart's just going to look incredible because his ability to pass the basketball is is just absurd. And if he's got more offensive threats, uh, you know, his six assists per year this season is going to grow to like eight plus if he if he decides to stay in Gainesville. Um, and that would also just open up the fact that uh, that would probably open up more opportunities for him to score just because because uh, right now he's just getting challenged to score. And, and uh, I just think that. Um, uh, yeah, like uh, like you said, to, to not turn the ball over, uh, given the kind of tools he's got with him uh, against a really good defensive team, um, I, I will say that's pretty impressive from Nemhard. Just uh, yeah, just his scoring, um, his lack of ability to score at a high level was just was definitely punctuated. But he did play well in other ways. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you know the Gators, uh, their eighth loss in as many tries against uh, teams in the NEC top forty. Um, they do have one win against the NET top 50. <laughs> um, and and Florida's, you know, they're such a weird resume. I heard Joe Lenardi talking about it yet again today. You know, they, they don't really have a bad loss. Um, but, uh, 
they seem allergic to quality wins and, and that doesn't change um, Saturday in Knoxville. So we asked for listener questions uh, and we'll just get it. We're just going to dive into them because we got a lot of them and I know we think that's great. And if I don't have anything to chime in on one or I'll just uh, defer to Eric or maybe we can take them one at a time. But so uh, Dominic Gravato asked, we know what Florida needs to do to get to the tournament, go six and two down the stretch. Does that seem realistic at this point, Eric? Um, I would say no. Um, unfortunately, I just think, uh, you know, you lose, you lose in a couple different ways. Uh, these last few, uh, these last few games, you lose to uh, a team like Kentucky just, uh, or Tennessee where you're kind of overwhelmed in the front court. And then you lose to a team like Auburn and TCU where it seemed like you were, uh, the, where the Gators were really kind of outplayed in the backcourt. So unfortunately I just look at some of these games that they'd have to win, um, uh, you know, LSU twice. Uh, considering that the challenges they've had with uh, with other teams' good front courts, just because of Florida's roster limitations right now, uh, it's tough for me to say that they're they're going to win those games. And uh, you know, a team like Alabama could even give give Florida's backcourt trouble. So, uh, not to say that I think that you know Florida's just going to lose all these games because I don't like the matchups. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, to suggest that uh, I think that they'll be able to kind of steal multiple games that they shouldn't, uh, I, I just wouldn't. You know, if I when you ask me today, I, I would just have to say no. I don't think it'll happen. Um, but I certainly don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Um, Neil, you better chime in because I'm definitely interested to see what you have to say. <laughs> so I tweeted earlier this week that I thought four and four was a more realistic finish than six and two. And I'm going to stick with that today. I don't see how Florida matches up with LSU and gets a win. Um, even at home on senior day, it just, I don't think it's a very good matchup. I, I think Florida could ice screens and we'll get into this, the LSU preview. Like Mike White, has shown a tendency to be pretty good at matching up with teams that have really good guards. I know we ripped their performance against Auburn, but that was kind of an aberration. I think Florida has in the white era been pretty good at containing guard dominant teams. Look at what they did Virginia in the NCAA tournament um, as, as kind of an example of that. But the problem is that even if you kind of contain LSU's guards, the, just the way that Nas Reed is starting to play and the way that Emmett Williams just kills people on the glass. It's just a terrible matchup for Florida, in my opinion. And I think in order to go 6-2, and two, they'd have to steal one of those games against LSU. So I don't think that they'll be able to do that. And yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I guess I just don't trust this team enough to win all the games it should win <laughs> in the other ones. So you've got loss at Rupp, two losses to LSU, and I think one other loss in there somewhere. I think that's probably the, you know, that, that'd be a pretty safe assumption, I would say. Um, so I, I think I would probably say five and three and be hopeful that they split LSU, but, um, or, you know, like, uh, and, and maybe take care of what they need to. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that it would be just, um, I don't want to say blind optimism to assume that they should go six and two, but I would say just given the recent history of the team there, there's just not enough to suggest that I, that I think that they can, uh, uh, or shouldn't say that they're good. They certainly could. I just don't think that they, they will go six and two. Yeah. And in, in the four and four or in the five and three scenario, they'd be comfortably in the NIT with even a loss in Nashville. In my four and four scenario, obviously uh, if they lost their first game in Nashville, they'd finish 500, which would make them eligible for the NIT. And then it would just be a matter of whether or not they accepted a bid. And I bring up the NIT because, our next listener question comes from Jamie Taylor, who asks uh, if Florida goes to the NIT, 
and wins, is that a successful season? And I will answer no, not at Florida. And I'll leave my answer at that and defer to Eric. Well, I was going to ask you just kind of the way that the, uh, the, the cadence of your voice there, uh, talking about whether they accepted a bid to the NIT if they were given the opportunity, what, um, uh, just kind of what, what, uh, what you think if they should do it or not. But, but I would say, no, that wouldn't be a successful, um, uh, that would not be a successful uh, season for Florida. Um, uh, just because I, you know, I, I, I kind of made myself a little bit of a fool on a few podcasts and a few articles before the season. Cause I thought Florida was going to be really good just this year. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold that one. I, I definitely thought that this team was going to be better than last year. I thought that, uh, bringing some it of these guys back and I thought that there was going to be a <laughs> contribution from, um, from some of these freshmen or, uh, you know, redshirt freshman guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I think the expectations, uh, uh, we're pretty high. And, and I think that despite the injuries, uh, I still think there is enough talent here to be at a lot better place than they are now. And, and I still think there is enough talent in place that, uh, that they should have been at least, you know, comfortably at the NCAA tournament picture right now, just because of, uh, um, you know, just because of uh, how um, just good. Yeah. The guys they had. And, and I would say that that would not be a successful season. And uh, out of curiosity, Neil, do you know who won the NIT last year? No, I have no idea. Yeah, that's kind of my point too. <laughs> uh, people, people, you know what I mean. <laughs> Florida wins the NIT. Um, you know, Neil knows uh, Neil knows college basketball really, really well. He doesn't remember who won the NIT last year. So it was Penn State, by the way, for whatever it's worth. But um, okay, okay. You know, but but once again, you know, you know, Neil. I would say if Neil doesn't know, probably a lot of you don't know who won the NIT last year. And there's probably a lot of people that really, really <laughs> know college basketball that don't know who won the NIT last year. So for that reason, Florida winning the NIT. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, I don't think it would make for a successful season. Um, though I'm just going to quickly yeah. add, if the and then I'll be done, Neil, and I want to ask you what you think. If Florida gets an invitation oh, no to the NIT, um, I would say yes, they should take it, and I will uh, just because I think um, uh, I think it'd be really valuable for some of their returning guys, and I know that that's uh, would take a hit to some people's pride. Uh, but I would say yes, they should go to the NIT if they are invited. And I'm curious what you think. But I also know you have another point that you were uh, you're about to come in with. No, I was I was going to make that point. I think Florida should absolutely play in the NIT if they're invited. Um, and uh, I actually kind of think it's important that they somehow manage to finish the season eligible to play in the NIT because I I, I agree. I think the repetitions are really crucial. Um. You know, I think Florida, especially Casey Hill and Chris Chios, grew a lot in their NIT experience uh, the year before they went to the Elite Eight. You know, maybe, uh, maybe that's something that I feel like every game Keontae Johnson and Andrew Dimbard play is good. Um, and, and Noah Locke. Uh, I guess I just, I've got this, this appreciation of Noah Locke now that, you know, it, it's like mind-boggling and also awesome that Florida gets three more years of that guy. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so I think that they should, and, and, you know, we'll see what happens. Who knows? Maybe they'll figure out a way to get into the NCAA tournament, but it seems at least to, to both of us, like, uh, that's unlikely. Drew Helmich asked, how would you grade Florida's defense this season? Um, I know they're 10th in defense, defensive efficiency, but how would you honestly grade it, and how does it improve? It seems like opposing trouble opposing teams are having less trouble scoring in the last couple of weeks. Although UT made a ton of tough shots, uh, I think the fact that uh, that they are, um, you know, in the top—that's a great question. By the way, it's a wonderful question, um, I, especially how they can get better. But um, 
I think that uh, I would give them an A minus just because they are in the top 10 of, of defensive efficiency. And it is funny because uh, uh, thinking about, um, you know, they had a rough defensive effort against Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is, num- you know, I think the best offense in the country and they still only scored, you know, 73 points. And, you know, it wasn't like they actually devoured the Gators defense. You know, those have been, those have been when the Gators have been bad defensively. Um, it's still been kind of like manageable and it's kept them in games. So um, I, I would, I would still grade them really highly, but, uh, and it's just really interesting, you, you know, talking about how they could get better. Um, I think a lot of it is, is kind of just personnel and, and not just because, not just because, uh, Obviously, they have some injured front court pieces, but you look at uh, you look at some of the guys on the roster, and you just wonder like, how is Florida so good defensively? Because Andrew Nemhart is uh, not a great athlete. Noah Locke is not you know pretty undersized and uh, not a great athlete. Kayvon Allen's undersized. Uh, you've got you know under you've got Jalen Hudson playing a lot of minutes at the four. Um, that a bad defender <laughs> and someone out of position. Uh, you, you like you don't it's not like you florida is just full of all these you know great players and florida just as a team does not actually ha, like ha, is not a great athletic team when you look at just kind of down the line next to a lot of power fives they're less than average in athleticism and then usually it's athletic teams that are great defensively so um for florida to get better i think they would just need a lot more kind of like a lot more wings on the roster um a lot more size on the wings um just kind of more athleticism and obviously with with trey man and um and Scotty Lewis coming that, that kind of gets better. Um, but I, I just think a lot of what Florida needs to do is to get better is, is just like from an individual defensive matchup standpoint, I, I think schematically it's uh, Florida's pretty strong and, and could do some things a little bit differently. And I'm sure. And just because it seems like teams are starting to figure them out. Uh, but again, you look at all these, like into these players as individual defenders. Uh, it's not like Florida has a bunch of stoppers, um, but together and Mike White has put them in positions to defend better as a team. So if guys get better individually as defenders, I think that's just kind of the way that Florida could take it from, you know, top 10 in the country to top five. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I mean, look, I think Florida has two elite defenders in Kavari's Hayes and Keontae Johnson. And so I think that kind of sets the table for what Florida does defensively. I think Kayvon Allen, I've called him the best perimeter defender in the SEC. I still think that's true. I don't know if he's an elite national defender as a guard. I just don't think that the SEC is chock full of great defensive guards. Um, and there are a lot of good guards in, in this league. I just don't know how many of them are really good defenders. I mean, you got guys like Tremont Waters who can fill it up, right? But um, the Ole Miss guards, uh, another example. But outside of like Jordan Bone, and Kayvon Allen, I'm thinking of like who I who I think is a lockdown guard defender. Nashon Haggins. Haggins would be. Mine. I'm not really sure. Right, right. Like those three come to mind pretty quickly. But beyond that, you know, kind of like, eh. and 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 Eric's identified the problem with Kayvon Allen is you know size. It has nothing to do with you know his basketball smarts as a defensive player. Um. So I think Florida has some nice has a couple of nice pieces defensively, and and in particular, Kavari says is a rim protector. Helps Florida a lot in the paint, despite the fact that they're undersized. But, yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, the Gators are kind of, um, you know, people are solving the riddle a little bit. And I, I would give them an A-. minus. Um, you know, I don't think you can give them anything other than an A in a world where there's 353 teams in college basketball and Florida's defense is ranked 10th. But I know that there are people uh, who listen to this show that disagree with that, that think, you know, Florida has had late game breakdowns defensively that have cost them games. And, and I'm in, I'm more inclined to think 
some of that has to do with, with Florida's inability to score late in games, which leads us to our next question. Ooh, can I jump in just once <laughs> quick? Sorry. When it oh, comes please. To, oh, just please. When, it, when it comes – I think that that's kind of my point on individual defenders because when you look at Florida's late game breakdowns, it's all been because Florida couldn't get a stop in a one-on-one matchup. That's been a whole lot of right. our conversation is just, you know, Noah Locke's been stuck in a, in a one-on-one thing, gets blown by against Mississippi State, and, and Florida loses that way. Or, or you know, Andrew Nemhart's had some of those situations as well. And I think that that's why I do look at this team that just because they don't have a lot of individual good defensive players, and that's why there's been these late-game kind of um, breakdowns as well, but you, but you don't see those breakdowns as much when the game isn't uh, isn't as much of a one-on-one game at, like, the 10-minute mark in the first first half. But anyways... Sorry, I, I ruined your very smooth transition. So, so give me that one again. No, no, I liked it. I mean, and, and I think it's good that you brought that up because Keontae Johnson still fouls a little more, and I called him elite. And he he still fouls a little too much to to really be an elite defender. So I kind of wanted to walk that back a bit. <laughs> I think he has the he has the potential to be like an all universe, all American caliber defender. I should say I should put it that way. And. I think he definitely defends better when Florida's in their half-court sets than, than he has in transition some or in these like high-pressure late-game scenarios where it's just him and a guy. Um, so, so I'm going to kind of walk back. But, but certainly, oh. certainly in, in Kayvon Allen and uh, Kavarius Hayes, Florida has two very, very quality defenders. The next question is from Jake Goongrich. And Jake wants to know, What's with the stall ball at the end of games? Can you please tell Mike White to stop it? <laughs> That's uh, I, this is just kind of the thing about about offense and late game situations. Um, you're obviously working towards getting a good shot in basketball, and uh, when you uh, when you can't get a good shot, your possessions are going to be longer. And Florida just doesn't have a lot of shot creators, and therefore the game just has to be it has to be slow. And I know that some people are looking at. Uh, and actually, to be honest, the spirit of the question from him is probably more the fact that there seems to be a lot of uh, Kayvon Allen just dribbling the clock, dribbling the ball for 15 seconds of the clock or Andrew Nemhart doing the same. And um, you know what? I, I, I don't think that's great basketball. And I, I don't think that maybe accomplishes a lot. Um, the more the more I watch Florida, the more I look back at their games, uh, I do wonder if their defensive intensity uh, kind of dictates the pace they can play it offensively. And I just don't know if they can play super fast while also um, pressing three quarters and, and actively switching and, and running around pressing the perimeter. Um, Cause when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, the offense, I don't mind playing slow, but slow doesn't mean uh, slow doesn't mean dribbling the ball for, for 10 or 15 seconds in, in a stationary spot. Uh, slow, you know, you see Virginia, Virginia or Villanova, two teams that play really slow on offense, but are both super, super effective. And to them playing slow is still maybe getting the ball moving from guard spot to guard spot and having action move away from the ball and just kind of um, uh, doing that side to side just to, to kind of try to find a, find a crack in the defense. Um, that's kind of playing slow while still being effective. Um, but for Florida, um, yeah, I, I don't think that the, that this um, the, the kind of offense they've been playing late at games or late in halves has been has been excellent. But I'm starting to wonder if it is their their pace on defense that kind of uh, dictates how they can play offensively. So I uh, I think that's a great answer. The only thing I'd add is that I think Florida's offense has been really far more set reliant this season, which I understand that you know I understand there's this this um, 
And we've talked about the problems with the dribble drive and this personnel, but that's a system. Um, whereas, you know, you have your set plays. And so people have criticized the staff and said, well, they don't have plays. Actually, I think this season we've seen they have a lot of plays. Uh, it's just that, you know, you show them so many times and you repeat them and people adjust to them in the two-minute timeouts, right? And so at the end of games, I'm also wondering if being so set-reliant during the other times of games hurts Florida late in games because people recognize the sets that Florida's running. I, I don't know if there's anything to that. Um, but just as a coach, it seems kind of logical to me <laughs> that if they're spacing the floor in a certain way, you know, we've seen this twice. So hopefully as a staff, we recognize that tendency and, and we do that as high school coaches. So, you know, I don't know. These are division one coaches. They're pretty smart. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think there could be something to that too. And, and once again, Florida to start the season, they were, uh, even when their offense was kind of really struggling in the half court, they were getting all these like, all these layups off baseline out of bounds plays and these some really good open jump shots off out of bounds plays. And uh, especially against Auburn, especially when he was kind of mic'd up, and he was yelling at his guys exactly what Florida was going to do, and then they, they didn't allow it. Um, just because, once again, at this point in the season, um, pretty much every team knows every one of each other's inbound sets, and that took away a lot of uh, kind of the easy buckets Florida was getting. So, I mean, if they're doing that with baseline out-of-bounds plays, uh, I would say that they're certainly doing that with, uh, with just half-court offensive sets. Yep, I, I would agree with that. The next question is from Malik Grady, who wants to know, if you had to predict one non-freshman player – currently on this roster who would unexpectedly have a great season next year who would it be non-freshman um that is a great question i am going to i'm going to disqualify i'm going to disqualify okaru just because uh i don't think that uh after what i've seen from <laughs> from him this year uh, I, I just don't think that uh, that I, I just think his jump shot's broken. So I, I don't know if that comes. So there's a little bit of a, like the magic beans that is uh, that is DeAndre Ballard, just because he's caught fire in some moments, and that would probably be a, a little bit of a that would be a pretty interesting answer. But um, I think I'll go. Uh, I think I'll go uh, Gorjak Yak. Um, I think that just with the way that he's going to be off basketball for uh, you know 18 months, it's uh, he'll have every opportunity to. Um, uh, to kind of just get a clean slate for probably the first time in his life. And I just think that uh, though there's not maybe a lot to, um, to gather from, uh, I, I think his sample size is pretty limited though. He had some good, some good numbers and kind of the percentages uh, uh, for the kind of few minutes he did put in as a freshman. Um, I, I just am more intrigued by someone who, who's hopefully just going to have a clean slate and be healthy for the first time in a long time, which makes me think he'll, uh, he'll probably, uh, uh, he'll probably be able to kind of surprise some people. And the other thing too is uh, I just think Florida's backcourt is going to be pretty crowded. So it's so picking one of the perimeter guys. Uh, I'm just not sure if they'll have the opportunity necessarily to be kind of the same breakout player. Whereas um, there's going to be minutes available in the front court. So if, if Gak can uh, play at a high level, um, I think he's going to have every opportunity to, uh, to kind of be a breakout player. I like it. I almost went Ballard as well. So everyone knows. And then I decided on Dante Bassett uh, for a lot of the same reasons that that Eric decided on Gorshak Gak. The only wrinkle in mine is that I think Dante Bassett's a pretty good shooter. Mm. And I think I think Florida's going to have guys that can get in the paint. And so I think naturally uh, something that could happen as a result of that is Dante Bassett is sort of a pick and pop guy. Um, 
if they can if they can get him in positions where you know he can shoot and he's confident shooting the ball and they tell him to fire away um you know i don't think that you're looking at 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 eric holman or eric murphy or anything like that but i mean i think a a florida offense where dante bassett can hit 1.8 to threes a game would be really really cool to see and i think it's possible i think he has a good shot um and it goes in a lot when he shoots and uh you know i think he's a guy that could really improve as a as a senior well the the thing too about him that i'll say is uh he was better as he was better in his first year than he was during his redshirt year. You know, coming from high school, he wasn't uh, – uh, his game is a little bit limited. So he was, you know, from all practice reports, he used his redshirt year really well and was better than when he was in high school. And he was better as, uh, he was better as a first year than, uh, than even people thought based on his redshirt year. Some, some people within the program kind of thought he wasn't going to play at all. And then, I mean, he was better this year than he was last. So he is a guy that has been uh, slowly getting better. And I think you just look at that arc where he has gotten a little bit better every year. And that makes him a, a, a really good, uh, a really good potential guy to be a breakout player. No. And I said, senior, I, I meant junior. Yeah. Sorry about that, Dante. Well, <laughs> well he will be in his, yeah, his fourth year. So. Yeah. Right. A fourth year player, but, <laughs> but only a, uh, only a junior. Um, let's see. We, we have time for, for one more here, I think. Sure. Uh, maybe maybe two at most, but probably one. So the next question um, comes from Sarah in Tampa, and Sarah asks, uh, does it surprise you that Mike White and Rick Barnes have basically the same record in four seasons uh, at their schools, at their respective schools? It's amazing how different the narratives are. What program is in better shape for next season? Ooh. Well, such a good question, Sarah, Sarah, by the way. I, I think this question, this is the blue ribbon question of the pot. I think Sarah asked a really good question the last time we did listener questions, too, if memory serves. So Yeah, uh, she's good. She's I hope she good. keeps firing them off. Um, <laughs> I, I would okay, that's a good question. First thing, that's something I love, you know, talking about, like, the way that, uh, you know, Tennessee is, uh, you know, they beat Florida and Gainesville, and they're chomping away. And uh, same thing, they're at home, they are uh, – uh, you know, they were all their fans were kind of getting after the Gators, ch- chomping sarcastic. And I, you know, I look back at, you know, Florida had a rough year last year and Tennessee had an awesome year last year and they went to the same round of the NCAA tournament. And uh, I think that's something that's kind of interesting for people to remember is like, man, for how good uh, Tennessee has been, uh, they lost in the round of 32 to like Florida last year. And obviously they're going to go deeper than Florida this year, but uh, you know, Florida, does Tennessee make an elite eight this year? They probably should, but uh, you know, if they, if they don't, they're uh you know, their last couple of years hasn't been any better than Florida's. So um, I was just looking ahead to see uh, what, what they have coming in. I knew that they had Josiah James, who's a five-star. Um, but, uh, but other than that, I mean, uh, uh, like I think Florida's recruiting class is, uh, is going to be better. They've got Josiah James, but other than that, they have two three-stars. So you look at instant help coming for them next year. Um, I, I think that they have, you know, obviously one impact player, but I don't think that's covering up for the fact that Schofield's going to be gone and, and Williams is going to be gone as well. He's going to, for the graduation of the NBA draft. So um, I think that Florida is probably going to be a better team next year. If I had to guess, just based on um, the recruiting classes slash Tennessee is going to lose a lot more. So when Tennessee loses a lot more and Florida is bringing more talent in, I would think Florida is looking better moving forward. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then you add in the fact that, 
you know, Florida had an elite eight and then uh, a round of 32 and last year, Tennessee had a round of 32 and then we'll see what they do this year. So I'll, I will say Florida is in a better spot. Um, but uh, it, yeah. So you, you look at just kind of the narratives around both programs. And I, I do think that it's probably a little too dire in, in Florida right now. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer this quickly and just say that I, you can put an asterisk on this because I don't know. I think Tennessee is good enough to win a national championship. Yes. And so if Tennessee wins the national championship, I don't really – I'm less concerned about next year because they're the defending national champions mm-hmm. and they could That's make fair. the NIT and you, and you don't take the banner down. Um, and obviously Florida's not going to win the national championship this season. Uh, breaking news. So that said – Six Tennessee plays six guys 25 minutes or more. They did it against Florida. Um, two of those guys are gone. Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, gone. Three of those guys are gone, actually, because Kyle Alexander, starter, gone. So you're at Jordan Bone, who's kind of an offensively limited guard. Uh, Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner, who's probably the, the scorer of the group, right? Um, those are your three big pieces that you have coming back. I don't know if any of those guys are one of your best two players. Actually, I know that none of them are. Um, and then, you know, they missed on Trey Mann. Florida won that recruiting battle. Uh, so I think if you're just looking at, at them from that spot last year, because I really think Rick Barnes felt like he really needed Trey Mann in that class to make sure he scored, even with what, even with the five-star coming in, they kind of, felt like to balance up their scoring, right? So I think this is just one of those situations where, yeah, I mean, narratives can change a whole lot. And if Tennessee makes the Final Four, then it's a pretty easy answer. But uh, for me, if they don't, if they get to the Elite Eight, then you're kind of looking at two programs that are basically in the same place, except Florida has the better recruiting class coming in. Well, that's, that's just the one thing I'll say. And I know this is, this is just going to sound like complete Florida homerism, but even if ten, even if ten, Tennessee wins the national championship this year, which I think they could, just like you did, um, if you're asking who's in a better a better place as a program, I'm kind of looking at who would you project is going to be better over the next three or four or five years. And even if right. Tennessee wins the national championship this year and blows every team out by twenty on their way there, um, it's still looking like Florida is going to be a better team next year. You know, just because it's not like Florida, you know, their national championship isn't going to get them likely won't get them anyone in 2019 unless they're, you know, maybe get a big grad transfer or something, which, you know, they end up beating out Florida for some big grad transfers, then, then, you know, like someone can throw it back in my face, but, um, but yeah, I think Florida is going to be better <laughs> next year. And I would say that uh, for that reason, um, you know, I would say that Florida is probably looking pretty good the next two years. And then, then these, you know, crop of three stars that they're bringing in this next year for Tennessee might be at the same level that they're three stars right now. And Tennessee will rebuild that way. But um, I, I will say it's definitely really close. That's for sure. Yeah, it was a great question again. So some really great listener questions. I'm going to answer the only one that we have left uh, after we let Eric go because he's got to run. But yes. we, uh, we'll be back to talk uh, Florida Vanderbilt um, this, what, Thursday. So uh, we'll be back, and, and thanks, Eric, for joining us. All right, thank you for all those great listener questions. Lots of uh, familiar names from Twitter, so good to hear from all of you. And, uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to the next time. Thanks, Neil. So, two more listener questions. One from Mark Nichols, who uh, asked 
why are Mark, Michael Caro's minutes so limited? It seems like he's criminally underutilized. Uh, I think mainly because his shots aren't going in. Um, you know, one thing that we've talked about on the podcast is that he, the form of his jump shot is not terrific. And so he's a guy that needs to see the ball go in to kind of justify minutes because that herky-jerky form doesn't really lend itself to making a lot of shots. And he's also attacked the basket less as a sophomore for whatever reason. So um, I think he's become kind of timid offensively, and Kayvon Allen has has proven that he is a more capable second point guard or primary ball handler than Mike. And so Okaru uh, hasn't played as much. Um, you know, I thought Michael Carr did some nice things defensively in the first half of the season, but right now Florida needs offense off the bench, and Michael Okaru, um, you know, you just can't can't rely on him to score and so I think uh, that's why he's played less and that's a good segue to the last question um, which comes from Joseph and Joseph wants to know if I think or if we as a pod think that Mike White will push players out Um, and you know here's what I'll say to that we're going to do a roster recap probably a series of shows when the season ends where we kind of rate everybody's season and I, I imagine it'll be at least two pods. Um, I think everything is on the table when you have a season like this. I think Florida very easily could, could have pretty substantial roster turnover. One thing that's certain is that they'll bring in someone for Chase Johnson's spot. They're not going to have an empty scholarship spot. And if you look back at his teams at Louisiana Tech, he always filled his roster with scholarship players. Um, which some smaller mid-major programs don't do. Mike White insisted on it. He'd bring in Juco guys, bring in a Justin Leon, someone like that, make sure that his roster is full. So Florida will bring someone in. Um, I've been told by multiple sources inside the program that that person will be a front court player. Uh, and I trust those people that, that tell me that. Um, beyond that, you know, will we see some transfers? Uh, something that hasn't happened much in the white era uh, outside of Eric Hester leaving. Um, and, of course, Chase Johnson leaving this midseason, but I think that was more injury-related than desire. Uh, Chase just wanted a, a fresh start somewhere, and we wish him the best. Yes, I think it's very possible that Florida will have additional transfers. Um, I think that you can probably identify who the candidates uh, to do that are. I think it starts with with a Michael Caru or, or an Isaiah Stokes, and it goes all the way to a guy like DeAndre Ballard who, who's going to have to fight for backcourt minutes next season. Um, and, and we'll figure it out. Uh, but we'll talk about all that when the basketball is done. Next, I want to go ahead and preview the Vanderbilt game real quick. Um, and all I'm going to say, well, I'm going to say a couple things about the Vanderbilt game. Uh, Vanderbilt, of course, winless in the SEC Coming into the uh, Exactic Arena, into the Odome, um, looking for their first conference win. Uh, I mean, they've they've lost games pretty pretty convincingly in Memorial Gym this year, which almost never happens. Uh, of course, Darius Garland's injury, the five star point guard who was one of the top ten players in the country out of high school last year, really put this season off the rails. Um. But there is talk that Bryce Drew is is legitimately on the hot seat, that you know, Vanderbilt has a new athletics director, Malcolm Turner, uh, 
Um, Malcolm Turner was the former president of the NBA G League, so uh, whether or not that's good news or bad news for Bryce Drew, it's, it's hard to know. Certainly he's a, a basketball guy, so he can understand the adversity that a team faces when it loses a lottery pick point guard. Um, and, you know, certainly they have they apparently have a pretty strong relationship. Um, that said, uh, Malcolm Turner didn't hire um, Bryce Drew the late David Williams did. Uh, of course, David Williams passing last week, and our condolences to, to any Vanderbilt fans listening. So I think um, those things kind of trend to where, you know, yeah, I mean, it's possible that this is Bryce Drew's last season, although it seems not particularly likely. You know, they really were off to a positive start before the Garland injury. Um, so how could they beat Florida? How could they come in? and explode the Mike White hot seat talk by defeating the Gators in its Ectic Arena. Um, you know, and again, I don't think there's ever a must-win game for Mike White this year, uh, but certainly it would be horrifying if the Gators lost to Vanderbilt. Um, and, and, you know, it would be another feather in the cap of those that think a change is needed in Gainesville. Um, Saban Lee, the son of former Florida State running back Ampley, is a uh, really, really good uh, guard. I think one of the more underrated players in, in the SEC was a big-time recruit. He plays most every minute of every game. Um, the Arkansas game, he was in foul trouble. When he's not in foul trouble, he's averaged 36 minutes a game. So he's always on the floor. He's kind of been their functional point guard, a guy that uh, really hurt the Gators um, the last couple of years was uh, Robertson. He's gone, graduated. So big reason Florida had so much trouble against them was he was really good at matching up with with Devin Robinson and Canyon Barry. Uh, the year Florida made the Elite Eight, which is how they went 0-3, because they were really able to negate Devin Robinson against uh, Vanderbilt. Um, and then he got to the foul line so much against Florida's undersized team last year that that, that hurt Florida in the loss at Memorial Gym. Um, he's gone in his stead. Uh, freshman small forward, Simasola Chateau, another five-star. Um, has been pretty good, but, you know, maybe not quite as good as they had hoped, averaging seven points a game. Um, he certainly is very good inside um, the two-point area uh, and, and pretty effective on the glass um, for a freshman, but, but his number's... Um, are right around where Keontae Johnson's are. Uh, so it kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting there, even though he's got three inches and a lot of weight to, to, to Keontae. Um, Aaron Nesmith is another highly touted freshman. Remember, Vanderbilt had a huge recruiting class, and, and the wheels have just totally fallen off because the lottery pick point guard got hurt. Aaron Nesmith is their sharpshooter. He was the Fisher Davis replacement, the guy that they really looked to fill it up outside. He had a huge game against uh, Kentucky. It's hard to say somebody had a huge game in a game he lost by 35, but he was actually 5 of 6 from deep um, in that game. So he was basically the only guy on their team that, that was scoring at any consistent rate. He's been off the last couple games, only 3 of 12 from the perimeter in their losses to Alabama and Arkansas. He's a guy Florida can't let get going because um, he is a, a, pretty, a pretty good sharpshooter. Um, and then the last guy you'll recognize is Joe Toy. He's their lone senior. Um, always plays pretty well against Florida. Kind of limited offensively, but just a really good defensive player. Probably the best defensive player on their team. 
Um, Yanni Wetzel is their big, uh, really pretty limited guy. Um, but had a really nice game against Tennessee. Caused a lot of trouble to, to Grant Williams. Got him in foul trouble. Um, and, uh, you know, a guy that has some moves in the post, although just kind of just very limited athletically in terms of what he can do. Uh, I would say, you know, certainly a very favorable matchup for, for Kavarius Hayes. Um, so that's kind of my position-by-position position breakdown of that team and just kind of an overview of where Vanderbilt is as a program. Certainly, if the Gators want to make the NCAA tournament, it's one they have to win. Uh, we already all knew that. Florida will go back to Memorial Jam, a place where they almost never win, and they'll need to win that one too. Um, pretty much, you know, any loss to Vanderbilt would be crippling from a resume standpoint. Uh, even if the Gators won somewhere that they're not supposed to. So, uh, must win Wednesday night and uh, late start, 9 p.m. Hopefully the Gators will get after it and get back on the winning track. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember to give us a follow at Florida BB Hour on Twitter, at Florida BB Hour. Also, subscribe to our show on iTunes. Um, Eric and I thank you. Thanks again for the listener questions. So long, everybody.